For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's a Wednesday <coughs> afternoon, and I was thinking of Hanukkah, of course, is around the corner. I was thinking of start saying a few talks on Hanukkah, although I'm sure I covered most things in the past, but... Um, I even have a long talk online somewhere if you look in the look it up on the videos. But anyway, um, but I wanted to speak about a part of Hanukkah that I think no one ever speaks about, the Hanukkah story, especially in light of current events in Israel. For this, I have to thank uh, Abe Gluck and Gluck, Gluck Plumbing for stepping up, as always, as always, to the plate and undertaking to sponsor this talk. And uh, very grateful for their constant support. And let's get down to business. So thank you, let's get down to business. Uh, I'll tell you where I'm going. There is, as I've said in the past, and I'm sure, you know, if you're interested, you'll listen to the past podcast from previous years. I don't even remember them all myself, but I know basically what I said. And I covered a lot of the historical and, and meta-historical uh, topics that come to with Hanukkah, because there are many, many ways of approaching Hanukkah, you know. There's the uh, historical way, the lumdish way, the halachic way, the kabbalistic way, the Hasidic way, the maral way, and others. Okay, and the historical one is very hard nugget, hard to crack, because of the dearth of sources. Um, let me, without getting into too much detail, you know, we the regular stories about King Antiochus IV hardly ever talk about him and the Jews. And there's a guy from later on, Deodorus, who's, you know, who's, who's may possibly be telling the truth. I'm sure I spoke about him last year also, or two years ago, whatever. Uh, but from a straightforward historical point of view, the usual, the, the best way of getting a Hanukkah, not that these are necessarily all true, but uh, is, of course, the first book of Maccabees. In the Apocrypha, there's two books of Maccabees, Maccabees 1, Maccabees 2. They're not, they're not connected with each other, they're two completely different works. Uh, and they don't survive in Hebrew, only in Greek. There are Hebrew translations, but it's just as good to read English translation, reading from the translated from the original Greek. And um, <clears throat> they both tell the story more or less of what Hanukkah. I don't think it mentions the actual word Hanukkah there, which is an interesting question. Like, where do you get the word Hanukkah? But um, putting that aside, and believe you me, ain't so posh it. I mean, it's a Hanukkah hey. The Machzavidri says Chain, Loshen Chain. There's different, different <coughs> opinions about that. But, you know, in the Megillah's time, it says Chanukiah. Now, um, here's the thing. So, the most straightforward way is to read the first book of Maccabees. If you want to get a basic idea in the most logical, uh, you know, form of telling a story, at least you start with a narrative. Doesn't mean it's the whole truth. After all, as I've said, and many have said, you know, the first book of Maccabees doesn't give the story with the miracle of the oil, gives a more prosaic kind of uh, explanation of Hanukkah, you know, the victory of the Maccabees, and so on and so forth, which was no Kleinikite, okay? Even many of the Mepharshim say that the first day of Hanukkah, that's a way of answering the Beis Kashis to commemorate the, the victory, you know, so it's not a Kleinikite. Um, but having said that, you know, having acknowledged that, it still tells you how the revolt uh, began, and the military details, 
and the actual wars and battles. And it takes you well past Hanukkah, by the way, decades. May I remind you that Hanukkah is a temporary blip. The Jews captured the base of Mish, but then later on they lost it back to the Greeks. May I remind you that Judah Maccabee won at the time of Hanukkah, but a few years later he was killed in battle by the Greeks and the war went on. So, it's complicated. But I'll say it again. Hanukkah is approaching. If you want to get the clearest, plainest, you know, um, way of understanding the story, you read the first book of Maccabees. And if you want the best edition of that, so far, as far as I know, you get the golden oldie from Dropsy College 1950 or thereabouts, even though it's not from at all, but uh, it's the best translation from Greek that I know, and it doesn't give you a Christian thing. Usually, the book of Maccabees is part of the New Testament, even though it has nothing to do with the New Testament, but the, the Christians added it on there, uh, <clears throat> the apocryphal books, and you usually give some kind of Christological shot, or not shot, but footnotes. Here, at least they give Jewish ones. Okay, having put that out of the way. So, the great question we have is like this. What brought this on? Okay, what brought this on? You start the story with the Jews of face being, <clears throat> let's say, under Alexander the Great, who, as far as we know, treated them okay, meaning he didn't attack their religion. And then after Alexander, the Jews were under the Ptolemies, uh, the Ptolemaic Empire from Ptolemy I to Ptolemy V, I believe. Uh, and, uh, you know, that would be the uh, around the 200s BCE. Okay? In other words, Ptolemy I would start like 304 BCE, you know, going backwards. And then it would end with, you know, one, what was it, 190, something like that BCE. You know, so it's all through the 200s. And by the way, if Derek Haga, I'm sure many of you listening to these podcasts follow the news, probably saw in the paper that they found the other day in the Negev somewhere uh, a whole bunch of coins in good condition that some Jewish guy buried away, which indeed it was from Ptolemy VI, who was a contemporary of Antiochus IV. Now, if you're starting to get a little confused, what can I do? This is what I mean to say. If somebody wants to understand Hanukkah, you got to know a little bit of the history of that time. It's not the easiest thing in the world, but it's not certainly not the hardest. It's not rocket science. And all during the time that the Jews were under the Ptolemies, as far as we know, you know, the Jewish religion was left alone, although it's not so pushit. And by that I mean, and here you have no choice but to fall back on Josephus, because there's absolutely nothing out there that talks to us from from sources what was going on in the 200s BCE in Eretz Yisrael? Um, yeah, the vaguest stuff, you know, with Chonyo, the coin, you know, makes a runs away to build a temple in, in, in uh, what do you call it, in Egypt. It's a complicated, confused thing in the rabbinic literature. Uh, and so, when Josephus gives you a whole detailed description of certain aspects. Now, when you read Josephus, you don't know whether to believe him, not believe him, especially it's long before his time, is it what sources he's using, but he got no choice. And for those who are interested in what I'm talking about, in practical terms, you know, the, there's no clarkade on this, and therefore many historians, all of them basically, speculate. They, you try to stitch together a narrative of what happened in this period before Hanukkah, before the whole Maccabean revolt business, in, let's say, the time of the Ptolemies, in the 200s, Antigonus, so and so forth. And uh, if you want the from spin on it, and that's all it is, 
either you get uh, you know it's the guys like Levi Dershowitz shown in, or to make it easy, you buy the Victor Miller book of Torah Nation, which is around all the time. And by Victor Miller, who was a super fan of Yitzhak Isaac Levi, so if you read the Torah Nation, especially the third chapter, so I'm trying to get down and dirty with this, read chapter 3, what he calls early days of Second Sanctuary, so he will try to uh, touch up Josephus and things like that within the context of a very from Hashkafa. And according to him, the from are always in the right, and the non-from are always in the wrong, is the story of white and black. And you'll see how he explains events led up to the rise of the uh, of the persecution of Judaism. And what's famous about this is, and he's not wrong, is that the ones who started... So I'll, I'll repeat what I was saying before. Alexander left him alone, the Ptolemies left him alone, and then the Seleucids conquered from the Palestine from the Ptolemies, if I remember them, in the 190s BCE. And I, I believe... <clears throat> yeah, it should be 199, actually. So the 190s BCE. And uh, now you're in the 100s BCE. <clears throat> that's the century when Hanukkah takes place. And first he has Antiochus III. He's the one who conquered it. And then he was succeeded by Seleucus. Uh, and then by Antiochus IV, who's the villain of the Hanukkah story. So all during this time, the Jewish religion was left alone. Uh, and then something happened. So, which provoked, of course, the Maccabean Revolt. So what exactly happened? So what's clear is that the Hellenists started the whole business. Uh, how precisely, it's not clear. But let's take a look, for example, in the book of Maccabees 1. And if you read it, you'll see it says, at that time there came, I'm reading now from the Greek, at that time there came forth from Israel certain lawless men. So lawless means people without law, or we say today, they don't keep the Torah, who persuaded many, which is an interesting phrase. So in other words, a whole big group formed among the Jews, saying, let us go and make a treaty with the heathen around us. The heathen means the idol worshippers. Because ever since we separated from them, many evils come upon us. This plan seemed good in their eyes, and they went eagerly to the king who gave them permission to perform the rituals of the heathen. They built a gymnasium in Jerusalem in accordance with the customs of the heathen. They also subjected themselves to uncircumcision, Moshe Charlotte, so we call it, and they stood in aloof from the sacred law, meaning they didn't keep the Torah. Thus they joined the heathen and sold themselves <coughs> to do evil. And that's the beginning of the whole business, okay? Now, if you read a Victor Miller, you'll see, the way he touches up Josephus, that they're formed already a certain class. Now, I can't go through the whole business, it can't make a two-hour lecture, but to give the basics... They formed a certain class under the Ptolemies of Muxim tax collectors. And in those days, the government would form out the taxes and the king would say, I'll give you the contract, you Jew, for example. And you collect so and so much tax. And whatever you keep over that, you get to keep. And there's a family called B'nai Tuvia, this in Josephus. And they started being the tax collectors. And uh, they had a private army with the permission of King Ptolemy. I think it was Ptolemy III, if I remember correctly. And uh, next thing you know, you have a funny situation in Eretz Yisrael, meaning Judea. Now, during the whole time we're talking about, what you and I call Eretz Yisrael is actually a small fragment of Eretz Yisrael. The whole story of Hanukkah and the Maccabean Revolt takes place in a small fragment of Eretz Yisrael. I would say Jerusalem and 20, 30 miles in a, in, in, around it. 
you know, like to draw a circle, roughly speaking, around you, some 20, 30 miles. That's how I understand it. Maybe a bit more, maybe not. And uh, that's where all the action happens. That was the area of Eretz Yisrael, which was inhabited by Jews pretty exclusively. The rest of Eretz Yisrael had plenty of goyim of all kind of junk in there. Your Arabs, your Samaritans, your Greeks, your this, that, and the other. And Jews were living there also. But they were a minority. But in the area by Yerushalayim, and so on and so forth, ever since Ezra Nehemiah, that was pretty much an all-Jewish territory. And that's where all this stuff happens. Now, you can understand from the point of view of the Greeks, of the Seleucid Empire, whose capital was in Antioch at the top of Syria, the area I'm talking about is rather small, but it's part of their empire. Now, uh, this means that already in the Ptolemies, uh, this is where Victor Miller or, or, or Halevi would pr- propose it, roughly speaking. I'm going back many years, long, long ago, long, long ago, I used to teach this. And the way they, the way they would set it up would be that you had a base of Migdash, of course, and you had a Sanhedrin of some sort or another, and a Bayesian system of some sort or another. You had the coin Godel, who turned out, according to the theory of uh, Halevi, of a Victor Miller, became a preeminent official in terms of dealing with the Goyim, and in terms of the taxes, which is what the Goyim were mainly interested in. And this Yosef ben Tobi was a relative of the coin Godel. And by the time we're done, you had two power centers, A and B. One was the regular one, the Frum one, the Sanhedrin, the Bayesians, and that sort of thing. And the other one was this whole network of tax collectors and their private little armies and mafias. And they weren't really subject to the power of the Bayesians because they had their own armies to back it up. A Bayesian depends on a civil uh, calm and law and order and willing to listen to their decrees. And, you know, the Sanhedrin has police at its command. But not if there's a counter-mafia, you know, against it. And so you already started to have a situation in which there are like two sources of authority. The from one and the non-from one. Uh, by the time you get to the Seleucids coming in, uh, so the, the from mafias were, dis- were out of business because they had been associated with the Ptolemies, but new ones pop up. And so there seems to have been some kind of a power vacuum or at least an opportunity for opportunists to jump in there. And what they did was they went to the kings and they said, give us the contract to collect the taxes and other, you know, run the tolls and things like that. And we'll make sure you make a lot of money. And that came along with the power to raise armies and their own private mafia forces. And it was, you know, a certain situation of great tenseness uh, in which you had two sets of Jews. Those that are from and followed regular establishment, and those are not really from, in other words, they're touching themselves up by not listening to Sanhedrin, but what are you going to do to them? Now, as far as I can tell, th- these two groups existed at the same time, for a while. So, basically, the attitude of Sanhedrin was, you know, don't mess with these guys, uh, but the from will stay with us. And the attitude of the mafia types was, Leave the frummies, you know, their stuff. We want power and and wine, women, and song, and castles, and things like this. Which, according to Josephus, they got. And then something happened, it was not clear, which pushed the non-frum to try to go beyond what they had done before. And basically to um, sort of 
un-Jewish themselves without exactly converting. They said, you know, let us go and make a treaty with the heathen. What do you mean a treaty with the heathen? A treaty with the Goyim. I mean, they've been like that already. Because ever since we separated from them, many evils have come upon us. When did you separate from them? Notice it sounds like they had been together with the Goyim, and then they separated, and then they saw the the ill effects of that, and they say, now we want to not separate from them. We want to join up with them in some fashion or other and have the same religion or or, or practices or customs as the uh, Greeks. <clears throat> so what is that referring to? When did it happen? It seems to me, in the light of um, current events in Israel, which are very interesting, you know, BB won the last election, but mainly the main winners of the, these religious parties is the Agoda, the religious Zionist, um, the other groups. They're the one, you've, I know you follow the news, and if you follow the news, the from parties are pushing a heavy agenda, and the non from are freaking out. The from parties now in Israel are saying, we want to revoke some of the laws that are on the books because they're anti from and non from said, don't you dare do it. The from parties say we want to clip the wings of the Israeli Supreme Court. I did a podcast a while ago because we don't like their judicial activism. Uh, the Marshall. You know, they, they, they say anybody who's con- converted by reformer, conservative, or something like that, tutti-frutti, is automatically considered Jewish. Who gave you the Supreme Court the right to say that? You understand? That should, if anything, I mean, it's a lucky matter, but if anything, it should be voted on. And you can't say, like, the Supreme Court in Israel is trying to do, it's unconstitutional, therefore, we have more power than the Parliament. These people are pushing now to say, no, the Parliament has the uh, is the one elected, and they should have all the power, the Knesset. So we find a back and forth and a tensing of relations. Right now as I speak, between the from and the not from, between the right-wingers and the left-wingers, that is Israeli politics, and if you look at the Israeli press, you know, it's all gloom and doom, and they're outraged, even though it's a pushback against the non-from unilateralism is what it boils down to. I happen to be going to be speaking about this this coming week. I'm planning in my, in, um, in my Saturday night lectures at Shomer Muna on the modern era in Jewish history. And one of the big issues they're having now is what they call the Grandfather Clause, which is that they made a law long ago in the Knesset, over 50 years ago, that regardless of whether or not they register you as a Jew, even if you're not Jewish, under certain circumstances, you have a zechus and a right to come to Israel and instantly become a citizen. As long as you have one Jewish grandfather. You know what I'm saying? Think about it. The guy's a Russian, uh, Soviet Union, long ago, 70, 80 years ago. And it was under communism. I'm not blaming anybody. And he married a Russian chick. So, okay, fine. You know, it happened. Happened. They had children with zero Yiddishkeit in them, zero Jewish identity. And they weren't Jewish. The mother was a Russian lady. Maybe she was a nice lady. I'm not saying anything. But as far as being Jewish is concerned, kids are not Jewish. They grew up, therefore, as Ruskies. Yeah, in the Soviet system, I don't blame them, and then they themselves have to get married eventually, and they have kids. So their mamas goyim shabatok goyim The Russians, Russian, 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 or Ukrainian, 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 Ukrainian. But now comes 1970, 1980, 1990, 2000, and turns out you're living in a lousy economy. But right now you can make aliyah to Israel because since your grandfather was Jewish, even though nobody else is. 
So you you can go to Israel. Israel will pay for you to fly there and become an instant citizen. And you know, if you know anything in high tech, you'll get a good job right away. And many have done this. I mean, like uh, half a million. So uh, this is an example of a unilateral thing where they're just saying we're going to let people in even though they're not Jewish. And now the front are pushing back and saying, no, no, no. The law should only be if you're actually Jewish. So you're outraged and I'm pushing back. I'm outraged that you started this, uh, uh, you know, a geisha clause in the first place. You get what I'm saying? The tension back and forth between two convergent, two uh, divergent unilateralisms. That's what it seems was going on at the time before Hanukkah. As best as I can tell, the story would go along the following lines. Uh, I think. You had Alexander the Great. And then you had the Ptolemies there for 100 years and a little more. And during that time, they formed this whole group of the non from the Tobias, the Yosef and Toby guys, the tax collectors, their mafias, their hangers-on, and their followers. It was a whole cherub. Then the Ptolemies were driven out of Israel. And these mafias were discountenanced because they had backed the wrong side, the Ptolemies. Now the Frum had a chance to bounce back. When they bounced back, they started pushing back, saying, you got to do this from thing, you got to do that from thing. Did you read in Israel, if the reports I'm seeing are right in the Israeli papers, the Agud is now pushing that they shouldn't have any electricity on Shabbos for anybody, and that they should introduce Gemara into the Israeli secular high schools. I don't know if this is really true or not, but it's going to be experienced as a as an invade as an intrusion. So that's what seems over here happened to Hanukkah. The Frum pushed back too hard after the Seleucids came and took over Palestine from the Ptolemies, again in the one nineties BCE. Um, for a while they were able to do it, and now came a blowback. Ever since they say you find generation pushing against it and saying, ever since we separated from the guy, all the misfortunes have come upon us. Imagine the scenario I'm about to Draw, which is a very plausible one. Right now, you have a quote unquote a government with a lot of from uh, parties in it. They're going to push something. I'm just making this up. They're going to say uh, you can't have mixed speeches and you can't have electricity on Chavez, and you know you got to have kosher food. Well, the next election is going to go the other way because people are going to be angry, and they're going to say no, we want freedom, like in Iran, you know, and uh, we're pushing back. When they push back, and let's say the left wing to the next election, they're going to say, we're going to um, uh, unfund all the yeshivas, we're going to declare war on all the from stuff, because they tried to come to push it down our throat. As far as I can tell, it seems to me that that's what happened. It was like a pushback from the lawless men, as they call them over there, and they say, ever since we separated from the Greeks, many evils have fallen upon us. They, therefore, got permission to build gymnasium. What do they need permission from the king for? You understand? To build gymnasium and to subject themselves to uncircumcision? The answer is, until then, they were officially under the control of Sanhedrin. Somehow or other, the Frum had gotten back into power, and they would not let them build up a gymnasium in Jerusalem. And the Frum would not let them uh, do Moshe Karloso. And the Frum would not let them go and be Mechal Shabbos and so on and so forth. So they had to get a special permission from the king, which trumps anything the local Jewish Frumis could say, and it did. Now, uh, to act, so, so you all of a sudden have a situation in which uh, there's a, uh, a from group out there, the majority, but you have a, a, a dynamic non-from or anti-from group, let's call it that way, and they're experiencing, you know, the from stuff as stifling and, uh, you know, a very, uh, 
uh, something disgusting to them. And they got permission now from the king not to live under those rules. So you can be in Israel and Yerushalayim, but I can dress Greek, I can go to the gymnasium, I can do Moshe Carlos, I can do whatever I want. And Sanhedrin can't touch me, you see? Um, because, the, you know, the Greeks said it that way. To, this sort of ties in with the fact that these guys now make like a power play for becoming the high priest itself, for the taking over the base of Migdash. Because that's usually the way it goes. Now, in other words, nobody says, you keep your side of the street and I'll keep mine. But A tries to take over the street side of B, and B tries to take over the street side of A. And so the result was that, um, if you read the second book of Maccabees, this is where you have to know how to mix the two together. It's not so simple. Uh, but there was Jason and there was Menelaus. There were different factions among the non from. And somehow or other, the different versions are not clear. I mean, there's like three or four separate ways of reading this. Uh, it happened that the King Antiochus, having uh, returned from a certain war in Egypt, where the Romans messed him over and was in a really bad mood, he attacked Jerusalem and the base of Megdash. And uh, this is the beginning of the troubles, because as it says in the book of Maccabees, I'll just read the simple part from the first book of Maccabees. After smiting Egypt, Antiochus turned back, meaning the Romans pushed him back. He went up against Israel and entered Jerusalem with a great army. Antiochus entered the base of Migdash's arrogance, and he just stole everything. He took the golden altar, the lamp for the light, and all its equipment, the table of the showbread, the cups, the bowls, and the golden censers, the curtain, the crowns, and the golden adornment in front of the sanctuary ripped off entirely. He seized all the gold and silver and precious vessels. He took the hidden treasure which he found and massacred people right and left. So he robbed the base of Migdash because he needed money to make payroll for his army, which were all mercenaries in those years. And then it goes on and it says that um, he sent a force uh, to Jerusalem afterwards, a year or two later, and they burned the city down, raised the houses, killed the men, led the women and children captive, took possession of the cattle, fortified a citadel inside with sinful men, in other words, with the Hellenist Jews, and this became the headquarters of the Greeks in Jerusalem, which was an empty city. And then, moving it up, ratcheting it up, he ordered everybody to become one people, and it becomes also to keep any of the Torah. Everyone should forsake his own laws, and even many from Israel consented to his worship and sacrificed him to the idols and were Mechal Shabbos. And then he goes to tell you all kinds of stories about martyrdom. The king sent letters to Jerusalem and the other cities that they should withhold all the carbonus, be Mechal Shabbos and Yantav, be Matami, the base of Migdash and the holy ones. You hear what he said? Be Matami, profane, pollute rather. This is from the Greek, the sanctuary and the holy ones. That means they on purpose went and were Matame, the base of Migdash and, and the holy uh, items, the Kachim. This is, you know, uh, you know, like I said, maybe I shouldn't mix the meta, the genres, but you know when you get to the Gemara and they say the all the other oil was tame, and if you read Zevin, for example, he collects as I remember by memory all the lumdisha stuff. How could it become tame? Because the Yilches Dover wasn't around then, and Gaim can't be metame. Blah blah blah. And you know here, if you just take it plainly, he said the king gave orders to pollute the sanctuary and the holy ones, which means find out whatever it is that the Jews can make tame. Uh, and and be metami it. So even if you, the Greeks, can't do it, find a Jew who can do it, because the main idea is to make it all tame. We did the same thing to the idol worshippers. Yoshio burned the bones of the priests, of the idolatrous priests. 
on the altar. Is that way the Shittasim, they can't use it anymore as idol-worshipping places. It's a certain style. And to build bummos and sacred and cattle and sacrifice pigs and trafe animals and so on and so on and so forth. And then, and, and he goes into great detail, he erected abomination of desolation on the altar. Eventually they put an idol on the uh, Mizbeach and they erected altars and burned incense and all the safer Torahs were destroyed and desecrated, and so and they killed anybody who won't go along, and so on and so on and so forth. Okay? Uh, so it seems, as I said before, that, that, that uh, and this, by the way, was enforced by the Seleucid army, but also with the help, the active help of the local Jews, who were on the other team. Meaning, there was a tremendous period in Klal Yisrael, we don't know the numbers, now, Vigor Miller always said the masses were on the side of the front. We don't know that at all. We don't know that at all. It's very possible that it was 50-50 or maybe even a majority was in Seleucus. We, we don't know. The cultural pressures at that time were, were tremendous. And the results are that you had uh, the, the, the persecution of Jewish religion, which continued for many years at the main instigation of the bad Jews. Everybody knows, who knows anything about Hanukkah, there was primarily a civil war between two sets of Jews, between the, the Frum and the Hellenists, the Messiavim. <clears throat> the Greeks were part of it, but in the same way, America was part of the Vietnam War. But really, it was a war between North Vietnam and South Vietnam. That's what it is. They're all Jews. And there were even times, if you read through the Book of Maccabees 1, verse of Book of Maccabees, where the Greeks were ready to give up and, and move on, and the Hellenists said, no, keep fighting. You know what I'm saying? Don't give up the ship. Keep fighting. So in other words, they were more stark than the Greeks were themselves, which you can understand why, because whenever you have a religious uh, struggle between two sets of Jews, it become extremely bitter, and here it became bitter, 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 bitter. And so the result was, as I say, the famous persecutions, which eventually triggered the Maccabean revolt. So I think that's what happened, in which case it's very... Uh, I don't want to say similar because I hope it's not similar, but it's a dangerous because you see what happens when the from push too hard or when the non from push too hard. Uh, years ago, Ben Gurion all this, the non from push too hard, and they've been facing blowback ever since. Now it may be that the from are in power. I don't know what's going to happen next couple weeks. Uh, they might push too hard and have a big bitter reaction against the other one. It's one thing to try to persuade somebody to be religious. It's something else to try to force them, coerce them. When you persuade somebody, if you do, at least they're willing to go along. When you try to force them, from a technical perspective, I get the vart, but um, but what do you call it? But it's from practical perspective, you get very big anger uh, reaction. You understand? Those become very embittered. God forbid it shouldn't lead to civil war. That would be the end. But it did in the time of Hanukkah. Okay? So here we are, about to have a holiday in which we talk about the menorah and the oil, which is, of course, very important. And then, of course, the latkes, which is even more important, as we know, and the sufganiyot. But uh, really, the heart of it is, what is it exactly that made the pirud? Uh, was it simply everybody started watching TV and therefore they all decided to become not from? What exactly happened that turned apart, maybe a large part, of the Jews to want to do Moshe Karloso? To want to do this gymnasium and this other stuff until it got to the point when one side was torturing the other. Because as the Civil War proceeds, and as you read through the first book of Maccabees, which again I recommend you to do, 
uh, you see that the two teams um, really uh, were bitter at each other, as happens in a, in a long, protracted civil war. And uh, they resorted to all kinds of tortures and killings, and I don't know what, uh, one against the other. And so uh, the result was the Jewish people themselves suffered. I mean, get it? Now, in the end, you and I happen to know that since Judah Maccabee happened to be a military genius and very capable commanders like the old, like the Jewish Oliver Cromwell. So, okay, so we beat him. I mean, I get that. And uh, Judah Maccabee and his brothers over the course of decades. But it was a long, long time. And they never really totally got rid of him because uh, what Halevi says, what Victor Miller says, and I think there's some svar to it is, the Hellenists really reinvented themselves as the Tzedukim. That may be true, may not be true. It's not clear, but it, it is a logical part. Let me put it that way. In which case, you never got rid of them. They just reappeared under another banner. Which means you can't force somebody to give up their beliefs by force. You can try to persuade. You can do Kiro various types and things like that. But if you try to push, um, usually you'll, you'll, you'll end up you know, with, with a tremendous blowback. So... It's very interesting in this regard um, to compare and contrast the Hanukkah times on the one hand with the times in Israel on the other. So far, the state of Israel has avoided this kind of violence, and they've held to democratic institutions, even though everybody cusses each other out. Uh, but I don't know. You know, the way you read it now, looks like there are really uh, a tremendous bitterness is building up. And um, maybe one of the things they're going to do on my uh, trip, I'm working on a certain project that's what will happen when I go to Israel but I mean it's, it's not going to be a pretty picture you understand the Hanukkah ultimately a very sobering story uh, and uh, of conflict between two sets of Jews yes there was an ace with the oil but you know that and that's and for some reason the Chazal decided to commemorate that but the at that time if you lived at that time the big Indian would be you know what's going to happen between the as we call them today, Prushim Tzedukim, you know, between the Frum and the Nafrum. And the question of the Frum and the Nafrum, how they get along or how they don't get along, is something which is, what well, is, of course, today, in something of a different format in, uh, in America and the state of Israel. And, uh, you know, nobody's got it down perfect. Okay? How exactly to relate the Frum, let's put it this way, they haven't related too well to the Frum, and I don't think the, two, the Frum would be related too well to the Nafrum. Uh, it's a major problem that we have as, as Jews. And um, we simply cannot say once Hanukkah came along, that was the end of the Hellenism, Hellenism among the Jews. Uh, the specific threat to the base of Mishnah in a certain way was, was alleviated by Hanukkah. But that's a schmooze for a separate time. So it just seems to me that uh, if you were Ma'ayan, as they said before, in the beginning of the Book of Maccabees, you see, I think it kind of jumps out at you, uh, it seems to me a strong hinting, let's put it that way, of this internecine uh, Jewish uh, warfare, which starts over religion and culture, but by the time it's over, you're talking about torturing each other. Because when you read the story of how they pulled apart that old guy because he won the trafe, it was Jews who did it. You're saying not the Goyim. So uh, that's in the second book of Maccabees about the, the martyrdom. So Hanukkah is more than just about latkes, you know what I mean? It's more against uh, just about parties. It's a very sobering kind of uh, holiday. At least that's my opinion.
For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.